I've beaten four men in the UFC before I ever got interviewed by Joe Rogan. You know how embarrassing that was? I'd be standing right in the middle of the camp, put my crap, you know, my mom's looking at me, I got this proud moment, I'm standing there. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. As usual, we got a lot to get to today. Guys, coming up on today's show, I'm going to talk about Dana White, who recently confirmed the fight between Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler, talk about Nate Diaz's future, and Logan Paul is boxing Dylan Dennis. All of that coming up on today's show, but let's begin here. So, Dana does an announcement last night, Australia event, Sean Strickland will in fact be the opponent for Adesanya. And by the way, I kind of felt like it was a treat, this pops up on my phone, I didn't go look for it, it pops up on my phone, Is Dana sitting there, similar to what I'm doing now, there's nobody around, no question is asked of him, or a back and forth, and you got to put up with 20 minutes, it's nothing like this to get the information. He's here, camera comes on, boom, here's the information you need to know. I realize that he's been doing these for a month or so, but a month or so still con uh, constitutes a couple of times. I want to encourage it. I like it. A lot of times there's information going on in the industry, but we have to wait until the next press conference. And even though those come up fairly often, we still have to wait until the next press conference. So this has just been a great way to get information out. Okay, thank you. But... There's a couple of things happening here, right? Number one, Israel Adesanya, once again, has gone out and found himself the hardest opponent that he can find. I must tell you, it kind of drives me nuts that he doesn't get credit for that. He doesn't always fight the number one ranked guy. That's true, but that's a story that's out there all the time. He doesn't always fight the number one contender. That's true. And that story's out there all the time. He always fights the hardest guy. Isn't that what number one should be, by the way? Isn't that what number one contender should be, by the way? I mean, I, I, I'll go back just to use a big example, but when he went after Yoel Romero and Yoel was coming off a loss, Yoel wasn't the number one contender and he wasn't the number one ranked guy. However, he's a Cuban Olympic wrestler against a New Zealand kickboxer. It was the hardest match you could find. History says, by the way, we should have had a new champion that night. This was a risk and a call-out to epic proportions, and the people said they didn't enjoy the fight. Or maybe it was a, a, a dull fight. I, mean, I, I just bring you that example. Like, I've appreciated Adesanya. I've liked his entertainment. The way I look at him after that, that call out and challenge and mean it and doing it and finding a way to win over Yoel as many years ago. But I, I look at him differently. I look at him differently. It goes from an appreciation to an entertainer to a respect as an athlete. And I'll just tell you, that's what he's doing right now. It's what he's doing right now. Went after Strickland. And Dana said last night, he said that Strickland was ranked number five. That could be true. I, I thought that he was number seven. Dana said he was number five. It also shows a respect to Izzy because when that fight looked as though it had fallen apart, it fell apart in a way that generally can't get put back together. And the only thing that happened, I don't think that Strickland was too out of line. Strickland is just very honest with you guys, and sometimes he's too honest. Sometimes he shares too much. And Strickland said, and all he said, he didn't use profanity. 
He was decent about it, but he said that they dropped the ball, talking about the organization. It, but that puts everybody in a really tough spot to then come back and give you what you want. It's just one of those things. But Adesanya spoke up on behalf of Sean. And not on behalf of I like him, on behalf of I want him. And I just think that a, a major respect was shown to Izzy. I've never seen anybody in the history of the sport control their own career like Adesanya. And I bring this to you guys because those two have a beef, and we remember it, and we're going to look forward to this fight, and there's no pretending Sean Strickland can't go with him. Do you think this is dismissive? You just, you, you, you're too new. Sean Strickland can go with any, but Sean Strickland can end up being the champion of the world, by the way. It's just not the biggest thing here in my mind. The biggest thing going on with this announcement, what happens to Duplissy? I don't believe by definition, number one contender can be pluralized. By actual definition. I don't believe you can have two champions. I remember in 1998, there was a computer program that was identifying the NCAA champions for football. And I was in Nebraska, and Nebraska was crowned national champions. It's the only reason I remember it. But guess what? So was somebody else. There was some kind of a glitch within the software, but the rule said that the software and the computer will tell us the winner. So it spits out two names. I can't remember who the other one was. Let me call it Alabama just so I can tell my story. So you got Nebraska and Alabama. And I remember seeing that going, well, this isn't going to work. You cannot have two champions. You can't have two number ones. You can't have two the best. It, it's not going to work. What an embarrassment. Nope, wasn't like that at all. I can tell you firsthand. I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, and boy, they threw a parade, and they went out, and they did everything for this man. They thought they were the champions. You had two champions. Nobody cared. Like the suggestion that we, we're going to play you. Before you have your ring and before you have your parades, we are going to play. It never, it never came out of anyone's mouth. Not the way it worked at all. And I, I only share that. Let's fast forward. Can you have two number one contenders? It's very important that you understand by definition, to my understanding, no. But but we were told that Duplissis is the number one contender. But if he didn't get the fight for whatever reason and Sean Strickland did, Sean Strickland is now the number one contender. So what does it mean for Duplissis? I know that common opinion is that Duplessis gets the fight when he returns. His next fight will be for the championship. I know that that was common opinion, but I don't think that that's what the definition means. Now, Adesanya, and stay with me here, guys. Like I'm not, I'm not demoting Duplessis. I'm, I'm sharing for you. It's time to be strategic. And Duplessis' next move needs to be the right one. When you understand in front of everything, and, and by no means, by the way, am I trying to take an opportunity from Duplessis? I would like to make that clear. I just want to share for you, we have seen the importance of having the blessing of Izzy in front of everything. Yoel lost a fight. It's done. It's done. Izzy said, no, it's not. I'm just sharing. Nobody has controlled his career more. 
The UFC said a couple of weeks ago, the Strickland-Izzy thing is off. Izzy said, hold on. Hold on. And now all of a sudden we get the announcement. Jared Cannonier offered no insults to Izzy. No trash talk, if you will. Didn't throw any dirt on him. In fact, it was the opposite. Izzy is a guest of the UFC, gets seated at an event. Cannoneer's a guest. He gets seated next to Izzy. Izzy sees him coming. is like, oh, great. My night's going to suck. This guy's going to pick like everybody else. It was just the opposite. Cannoneer was a complete gentleman to him. And Adesanya left and told the media, if I ever have a chance to do something for that guy, I'm going to do it. Even if that means my best to beat him up. But if it's an op, right, I'm just, I'm sharing with you. You can't fight Izzy unless Izzy says it. And I know that Izzy was red hot on Duplessis. I, I don't take that away. I'm just, Duplessis has got to maneuver now. He's got to maneuver. And is Duplessis going to keep his eye fully locked on Izzy? Is that the right approach? Well, there's no, there's no answer to that. It's only hindsight. you got to make your guess. Is that the right approach? Or should Duplessis make it clear that I'm here for the championship? I don't really give a damn about him. I don't give a damn about Strickland. But whoever's left standing, I accept the results of the duel. Is that the right approach? Should Duplessis make sure he's front and center, live in Australia for this event? And it's, it's a very interesting situation. And as much as many people believe that Duplessis is the number one contender, I don't believe by definition you can have two at the same time. It's very clear that Sean Strickland is next. But you're going to have Paulo Costa versus Chemayev right around the corner. Paulo Costa and Chemayev start to get the attention of Adesanya Make Adesanya look in this direction, right? It's, it's one of these things. Duplices has to do everything right right now. He's a smart guy. Good looking, handsome. Fight like a son of a gun. But his next move isn't going to involve fighting. His next move he won't even have a glove on. His next move he won't need a training camp for. His next move he's not going to slip or dip or duck anything. Not about combinations, takedowns, or chokes. It's going to be done through the media. It's got to be done right. And I'm curious which strategy he's going to take. Logan Paul, Dylan Dennis. I would like a little more of how we got here. Like, I like the match, and I understand the entertainment. I get the draw. I get the competitiveness. I'm in. I'm in. But there does appear to be something personal to Logan. But I have to use those words. It does appear there seems to... I don't, I don't know what it is. Let me give you an example. My wife, when this came out, my wife made a comment to me about these two fighting, Dylan and, and Logan. And she says, and my wife is friends with Dylan, by the way, I should disclose that. And she makes a comment along the lines of, well, you know, it's about time. This is, you know, it's been going on long enough. Some, something to this effect. And I'm racking my brain real fast thinking, yeah, yeah, it's been going on a long while. Yeah, 
wait, what's been going on? Well, when she and I keep talking, you'll remember that Logan had interrupted an outdoor interview between Brennan Schaub and Dylan Dennis, and Logan had thrown water balloons at him, and that was way back years ago. Well, you'd be remembering that wrong. That was Jake. That was Jake Paul in the pickup truck with the cameras that did the water balloons. So when Logan got involved, I don't know where it was. And I feel like maybe your minds have played tricks on you too. That wasn't Logan, that was Jake. Okay, but but hear me out on this because there is some moving parts. Let me give you a great example. Logan Paul is going to be a co-main event. Logan Paul is the biggest star on that card. And that wouldn't be to dismiss. Like, KSI has some massive draw power. And I am glad to see Tommy Fury getting these opportunities. So, I don't say it dismissive-wise, but for Logan to say, yes, I'll do it, I'll do it in a co-main event, tells me that it's a match from a competitive standpoint that he wants, more than he wants attention. Okay, great. Where does that come? Why? Then Logan spoke on the fight, and Dylan had missed his last match. He had a match with KSI. It always bothers me because there's a reason, there's a reason that you guys have never been told, and I can't reveal it. It's Dylan's business, but he missed the match. So Logan gets asked about that, and Logan says, we have a clause in the contract that if he misses the match and he doesn't have an injury approved by a doctor of our choice, he owes $100,000. And like that, like that's a, that's a lot of words. That's a lot of words to say and the doctor of my choice. Like there's just a lot of words there. But it also does lend to the idea that Logan is not playing and he's not interested in a match. He's interested in fighting him, specifically Dylan. And it makes me curious why. Like, where did that come from? I remember the water balloons. I remember how this whole thing started. I, I remember that back and forth with Dylan and Jake. And it's, it's been a period of time and maybe there's something that I've escaped. And then somewhere away along the way, it kind of transferred and it became Logan. And that is very common with the Paul brothers. Like when one of them has heat with somebody, somebody the other one might come in and do it. I, I, I remember uh, Logan thought he was going to fight Nate Diaz. And he did an interview about it. He said, I, th I thought we had it done. And not only did they not have it done, it ended up being his brother's fight. And there didn't appear to be any hard feelings there. KSI and Jake can't seem to get along. Logan went and did business with KSI, not just with the energy drink, brought him over to the WWE, and they did spots together. Like, there appears to be a little bit of a, of a different agreement with those brothers that our relationship's one thing, and then what we go over here is different, and they both seem to be cool in the gang with it. I still would like to know what it is about Dylan specifically that gets Logan dismotivated. And it's a really precarious spot for me. The Paul brothers are hard to explain. And I know a number of people that have done it and dismissed it and call it steroids. 
I mean, I've, like I've actually seen that out there. It's it's kind of a hard thing to respond to. It's it's not an accurate statement for one, but it, but it also puts a a lot of faith within steroids. Like, <laughs> what do you think they're the first? To, do you think that if you just discover steroids in a world that has steroids, like it sets you apart? What I mean is, Logan Paul went into pro wrestling. First time I ever saw him was on a pay-per-view. It was the first time that he ever did it. He was on a pay-per-view and he was partners with The Miz. They have the match and then there's a switch and it's Logan versus The Miz and whatever happened. But Logan made a statement afterwards that he had never done pro wrestling. He had never prepared, never trained for it, not in the back, never worked it out. Went out and did it on live TV. Now, that is a claim that you would chalk up to somebody working. You couldn't take that literal. A little bit of time goes by, and Logan doubled downs on it, and he made it clear that he was literal with it. So then you have professional wrestling experts, Jim Cornette specifically comes to mind, who called BS on it. And rightfully so, right? That is a really hard statement to believe, but then a little time goes by, go back to Jim Cornette, and Jim Cornette says, well, come to think of it, in a, in a world of social media, it's really hard to keep a secret, whoever trained Logan would want credit for it. Whoever the training partners for it would want credit for it. Somebody would have witnessed this. There'd be pictures. Somebody would come in out and say, no, I've worked with him. I saw him training. I'm the one that trained him. Never happened. There's never been a photo. There's never been a video. There's never even been a claim by somebody that they've seen Logan in a pro wrestling room. So all of a sudden it starts to be more realistic that perhaps he never practiced. Could you imagine a guy who's never done it and just walks onto pay-per-view and delivers a performance like that? You're now talking about a natural, but to, to a level that's hard to discuss. And I feel like that carries over into boxing as well. It takes a lot of time. A professional athlete, you're talking about two sessions a day, every day. Anything less than that, don't, don't even bring it up. I don't care how good you were, tough you were, whatever happened. Strong you were born. If you're not doing two a day every day, you're not in the conversation. The end. Which means that they are. And where does the time come in? And where does the energy come from? It's a very fascinating topic. And there's something that is making Logan put all the different things that he's got going on hold to be in the gym twice a day every day so he can go to a co-main event spot and deal with Dylan Dennis. And I don't know what that thing is. It wasn't the water balloons. It doesn't date back all of those years. Somewhere along the way, they got stuck in each other's craw. Now they've figured a way to work it out. Just under the unified rules. The Queensberry rules, rather. All right. If anybody has a chance to talk to Logan, and anybody can find out what this stems from, let me know. Derek Lewis, back. Derek Lewis never left. How would you like to word it, right? We find out that Derek Lewis's contract was up, and, and this is very relevant. And... I wanted to make a point to you guys that Derek's contract being up was the UFC's idea. And the reason I wanted to draw that distinction, I'm going back a week, but the reason I wanted to draw that distinction is we have seen guys 
in the land of milk and honey, eventually take the gun and turn it back. And Derek was in a position of leverage. Francis Ngano and the PFL in 2024 and an opponent that no one's even speculating about, right? I mean, it's a really hard thing to even guess who that would be just by looking at who is available. Before we get to who would it be, we will start with who could it be. So then when you have Derek Lewis pop up, it's a very meaningful and recognizable name. It would be a rematch. It would seem to solve a few problems. It would seem as though an option. We can leave it at that, but it would seem as though an option. And it would seem as though a game that Derek could begin to play. So I, I felt it very important to make sure that you understand that's not the situation. This was a decision made by the UFC so that you understand that Derek was not looking to use or leverage or point a gun on anybody. It was essentially an algorithm. I use that word because I, I can't think of a better word. There, there's essentially a formula that a guy at a certain age is not the guy that you re-sign and start, that you're looking for the 19, the 24-year-old, that you can blossom and groom and turn into a recognizable name, somebody that's willing to part with their time and money to see. Great, that's the business. Well, the algorithm isn't always right. And it's very difficult to say to Derek Lewis or Derek Lewis supporters, which is all of us, you're too old to do this. It's, it's very difficult to say that when he just did this perfectly. I might have to put it at perfect. How would you critique it? If you were a strict MMA coach and you had to really break down what he had to, how what would you say he should have done different? You'd be in a really hard spot. It was as close to perfect as I believe we've ever seen. And that's just the athletic side. He then has this moment with Joe Rogan that nobody's talking about, but that was one of the great sports moments between a commentator and an athlete. You have Joe Rogan, who is a consummate professional and a trained comedian who is laughing to the point that he's losing his spot. He's losing. There were sentences that Joe didn't fully form to this day because Derek had Joe in a different headspace. I mean, it was, it was special. And you have a crowd, your, your ultimate focus group right here at the crowd, giving their approval. And, okay, great. Well, what are we going to do now? Everything seems to be going Derek's way. We should have re-signed him. We have this algorithm and we follow it and we got a lot of things to do and things slip through the cracks and it looks like maybe this is one. What are we going to do now? He's going to go take to the media and he's going to, it's going to be one of these things. He's going to be nice for a little bit and then he's going to be not nice and then he, and then he's, he's going to make threats and he's, all right, this is the way this is done. No, uh-uh, no, nope, nope. Derek said right there in that moment, I would like to be re-signed. He didn't do any discussion and talk about other organizations and talk about pay and talk about my manager's got a meeting with and we'll see what happens. All the things that you always hear, he did none of them. He treated that situation different. And he was treated different. I would just bring that 
to your attention. I'd bring it to your attention. You've got to study these things. You find yourself in the same spot. How should I act? How does somebody else act? Well, what did they get? All right, it's it's one of these deals. And I got to go back, talking about Derek, to the same word of perfect. He handled it perfectly. Now he's got an eight-fight deal, by the way. Which if I would have predicted, right, we're, we're doing this to be nice. Like that algorithm I reference where someone slipped through the crack, that algorithm's damn good, right? Everybody's got an expiration point. At some point, a guy at X age is not going to be producing and reproducing for you. That's true in the, in the form of athletic performance. That's accurate. And you get these Tom Brady types. I remember back when I was a kid, there was a guy named Emmett Smith. Played for Dallas, but it was one of these things. The algorithm says he can't do it anymore. And the numbers say he's the best one doing it. Derek had a perfect performance, he had a perfect interview, and he had a perfect negotiation. And that perfect negotiation was nothing more than him saying, this is what I would like to do, and being friendly as he said it. It was different. And while he acted different, he got something quicker and more expedient that was what he wanted, which is different than a lot of other experiences. If Nate Diaz is to return to MMA, who would you book him against? Now, hold on. Hold on. We understand if he goes to the PFL or we understand if he's going to fight Jake Paul. Like, it's the same thing. If you say Nate's going to the PFL, like, you, you can stop right there. I understand that he's going to fight Jake Paul. Or if you tell me he's going to do MMA with Jake Paul, you can stop right there. I understand that that's in the PFL. And that's on the table. No question. But Nate was very complimentary at press time last week of the UFC. He only mentioned them a couple of times, but it was very nice what he had to say. And last night was Dana White's turn. He got asked about it. And Dana commented on how great Nate looked. And talked about in the sport of boxing, Nate was four weight classes up. Fought a youthful guy and fought him hard and represented himself better than anybody. I mean, really nice things. Now, that isn't like foreshadowing because they're working together. It's it's not like that in the least. It would just be a matter of we've heard from... Oh, and Dana said something else very beautiful about Nate. He said the UFC will always be Nate's house. If he ever wants to come home, he's got a place. So, I, I get before... You, Jake Paul and the PFL, I get that, but... Let's just take the principles that that would represent. That would be that, that Nate is going to fight somebody vastly younger than him. Nate is going to fight somebody more. Moreover, okay, if we're if we're doing this in the, in the PFL, we're doing this Jake Paul, who's much younger. We're also understands that 185 pounds. Can we have that same, and then bring it over to the UFC? I mean, just for fun and for conversation. If you're looking at matches for Nate, no longer on the table, right? A couple of months ago, you go back and forth. Is he going to go 55 or is he going to go 70? Uh, you can't play this game. We can now eliminate 55. But do we also have the ability to consider 85? 
I mean, that, that would be a whole new, from a parody standpoint, that would be a whole new conversation. And if you were to go and look at just what's in front of you, one of the pieces right now, and you were to look at some backstories or heat that's been developed by guys and Nate Diaz, you would not give any consideration to 185 pounds. You'd be looking at 170. I believe Poirier had made a comment as it pertains to Nate. And I have to say, I believe, I know the comment was made by Poirier, but he didn't say who he was speaking to. And Poirier said, I'll move up. I mean, and I'm, I'm willing to do it. I won't, I won't find any reason not to. But that would represent from 55 to 70 for, for Poirier. And I'm not sure that we're having that conversation for Nate. I'm not sure that we are. I'm not sure he's not now an 85 pounder. That's really interesting. Is Nate Diaz coming to the UFC? And if so, is he doing it at 185? And b before you answer that and go, no, he'll do it at 170. Okay, fair enough. But do you just to get my point, which is he might do it at 170. He might do it at 185. That changes everything. And I admit that you don't have it in front of you right now. I admit there's no middleweight with any backstory that we have ever been made aware of. I understand. But if I'm accurate, Nate just fought at 185. There's a strong rumor of him versus Paul. Without even negotiating, they would both understand and do currently understand if we were to do this match under MMA rules, it would be the unified rules, it would be the PML organization, and by the way, it'll be at 185 pounds. They haven't discussed any of these things. They don't need to. They both understand that. But if they understand it, I'm just asking that you guys also understand that Nate is making it very clear that he can go 185 pounds. What he hasn't made clear is will he only go at 185 pounds? Like, is that just his new spot? And I always find that so interesting. Like, a guy's weight is really important detail to have. Where he's going to go, what category, what division, who he's coming after, like, these things are really important, and not just to me, but to the entire division. When I tell you there's no middleweight with any backstory that we're aware of, as it pertains to Nate, well... It, could still exist. We just haven't been made aware of it. It could change. You could have a guy that's got a problem with Nate who's never even met him. But that's real in this industry. You see someone, you read something about him, go get that guy. It's, it's one of those deals. So when you're considering who you want to see Nate fight next, you've got a few things that you got to decide right up front. And I'm just asking you, I want you to leave a comment. I did a poll yesterday where I just asked you guys, do you want to see Nate and Jake do it again, but do it in MMA? It was just a poll. But I was personally curious. Like when, when I make those polls, I'm personally curious. I, I, I try to have my thumb right on top of everything at all times. But every now and then there's something where I did a little people and then somebody else influences me in a different direction. You guys were quite overwhelming that the answer was yes. I'm going to call it 70% of you. I'm rounding a little bit, but yes, you do want to see them do it again, and specifically you want to see them do it in MMA. So when I ask you, okay, I want you to have a, a little bit of groundwork for your comments here so we can get it back and forth, but we got to have a couple of rules. 
for who you want to see Nate next, first thing you're going to have to decide is, are we talking boxing or are we talking MMA? That one, in my opinion, has been made clear. Nate's next event is going to go to MMA. That's in my opinion. You might have a different one. You might have different information. Then, moreover, what weight class? And it has always been assumed, just an assumption that's out there, all the way down to Dustin Poirier, who also made an assumption when he said, I'll move up. Well, it's 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 up to 170, but Nate is now a 185-pounder. Nate is now a 185-pounder. That is what he weighed in last at. That is what he's prepared to fight for for a number of months. Of all the things that are on the table and the conversation as it involves Paul, is it's everything's at 185. He's now a 185-pounder. Is he going to change weights? Is he going to go back to 170? I'm wide open to it. But my main goal here is to make sure that you understand that when you're doing matches or hypotheticals or you're looking for parity, you're trying to have some fun here, which is what this whole thing is about, you are no longer locked in to 155 and 170. As a matter of fact, you've got to eliminate 155. That is off the table. I'm just here to remind you that 185 is now on the table. So when I ask you, who would you like to see Nate fight next? I want your answer. But make sure you consider middle. The return of Conor McGregor. Who will his opponent be? Which seems quite odd. It's going to be Michael Chandler. I've never seen any flinching on that. I've never seen the promotion start to hint, just by example, get behind any idea even ever so slight of anybody aside from Chandler. But Connor is a very massive voice. And Connor has called out people other than Chandler. Now, if you follow Connor McGregor, that isn't new. That is par for the course. That is what he does. And that's not going to stop. But if you're at all new, or you didn't follow close enough, or you have a really short-term memory. They're all very real things that a fan deals with, right? Fans got all sorts of other things to do. You could get lost in this. So Dana came out. It was post-fight press conference at a Dana White Contender Series. This question was asked. He cleared up. And he kind of said what I just said, kind of. You know, hey, Connor goes in lots of different directions. But when he returns to the UFC, it will be Michael Chandler and nobody else. All right. Now, I only bring that to you because it's it's a tough spot of when could that be? I mean, is, do we have like a time frame? And it doesn't have to be like the cable guy. Like, it doesn't have to be all uh, between 10 and noon. We, we, we could be months. It could be the fall, the spring, which like encompass, you know, four months. Next summer, that must take place before he's 45. Like, anything at all. And... I say that because my greater concern is Michael Chandler. You know, what, what do you do if you're in Chandler's position? You have earned this. Not just because of your record or what you've done. I mean, there, there was a process. In this case, it was the ultimate fighter, right? But think about that. Think about that and don't lose sight. Like, if a guy goes through the ultimate fighter and he wins the ultimate fighter, he gets a very beautiful trophy, the history books will reflect it. He gets a contract, he found his way in, right? He broke through, that's what he did. And 
The same thing goes for the coaches. If they went and did the Ultimate Fighter, there's an agreement, you get through it. So when I say that Michael Chandler earned this, I, I want you to know where I'm coming from, and he did. And he's exercised incredible patience. And if you see Chandler, whether he pops up, you know, he's at, he's at an event and they pan the camera to him, which I think they did a couple weeks ago, or you follow his social media, active pictures, active, he looks great. You don't, you don't just look the way Chandler looks. He's working very, very hard. And to work that hard takes such an incredible discipline when there's no finish line in sight. So Chandler has done this for a meaningful amount of time. Staying ready so he doesn't have to get ready. And I get that these are things that you say, but it takes a lot. And he deserves, he has earned, those aren't words that I will generally use, right? Life isn't fair. I understand those types of things. This is a situation where Michael Chandler has earned something. He agreed. He did his part. And now he needs to fall through from the other side. And I, I just say that because I can only imagine, right? I talk to Chandler, but I, I don't ask him that. I don't ask him that because I feel like it would be rude. I, I mean, this is a very personal thing. He is a family. He's off to work. He's counting and relying on something. And other people are counting and relying on him. And you're only as good as the information that you have. So imagine that. He's at the dinner table. Just really, but just imagine he's at the dinner table and his wife has a question. And he answers the question for everybody to hear. And then a month later, she says, hey, by the way, you, you told me this, but this didn't happen. I said, well, I, I, yes, I told you that, but, that, but that, because I was told, I thought this was accurate, but um, just imagine that, right? Something along these lines. And it gets to be a tough spot. You have coaches and you have trainers. And they are participants. Okay, great. When about do we think the match will be? I imagine if Chandler was asked that question the first he the first time he was asked, he'd have probably told them summer. When that fight got announced, it kind of looked like it was gonna be summer, International Fight Week specifically. And now it's a question of can he even say winter? Can he? Right? Is he sitting on information that we don't have? It just gets to be this this tough spot that is not fair. I don't like to use words like that. I know things aren't fair, but I'm suggesting for you, what do you do? And how long can you do it for? And can we have a ballpark? You know, at, at, at some point, I would have to imagine it turns to an ultimatum, right? It's the weakest part of a negotiation. I mean, it, it's the part where you've ran out of ideas. Like when, when, when two sides take to fighting, it's because they've ran out of ideas. It's not an honorable thing to do. But the ultimatum isn't either. It's overly effective. I've seen it in relationships. It's, it's the opposite of romantic. However, it is effective. Marry me or never see me again, right? It's like, <laughs> that's not a fair romantic story. But it is effective. Dude says yes more times than, than not, at least in old Chael's experience. So I'm I'm saying for you, at some point that has to come up. Because at some point, Chandler, who's working very hard, he's doing his job, is going to need to compete. He's going to want to compete. He's going to want to get on with it. So I think it was really helpful that Dana came out. 
made it clear. We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know what the, the rules and this USAD and the whole back and forth. We do know when he comes back, it's going to be Michael Chandler. I think that that's really helpful. But I, while that is news for us, while that come coming here and drive that home is news for us, that's not news for them. Like, that's not new to Connor and Chandler. There's no part about Connor's return that is being delayed because of who the opponent is. He, he's known who the opponent is. There's something else. Maybe we've identified it. Maybe it's Usada and he's got something in his system. Maybe. But maybe we haven't. There could be more at play. And what time frame? Is there any time frame? Is there a date that if it doesn't happen by here? And then how would you finish that statement? If it doesn't happen by here, we're going to get Michael Chandler a new opponent. Well, the very next day, then Connor comes back and says, I'll, I'll fight somebody else. And Chandler's tied up. He's doing another opponent. I mean, can, can you do that? Like, what would the ultimatum even look like? How would it sound? It's a very tough situation. And in this sport, we greatly rely on the other guy's word, no matter how much he's our rival. I don't like to use the word hate. I'm going to use it because it's one that you guys understand. Even if you hate the guy and he hates you, you still are counting on his word. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. That's how we're going to get this hate and this frustration out. We're going to solve it this way. It's an interesting spot. What is Chandler supposed to do? Chandler's done everything that he said that he would do. And it isn't as though Connor went back on something. Connor never really said it. He said, I'll fight Chandler. He even said, I'll fight Chandler next. He hasn't agreed to fight anybody else, and he hasn't fought anybody else next. We didn't quite have this as tight as we thought. And even on a simple human level, which is the opposite of fighting, they're rough and tough and screw you and screw you back. On a certain human level, I do wish that Connor would see it from the other side, which is, hey, I need to know to a degree if this is going to happen and if so, when. And frankly, even though that would be Chandler's standpoint, frankly, as a viewer and a fan, I'd like that information too. He makes it very easy to be a fan. He makes it very easy to want to get on board. He's got the skills. It turns out he's a handsome guy. He's a well-spoken guy. He's not afraid to engage with the audience. Like, there's just a lot of things. He's, he's got one of the most respected teams with one of the most respected coaches in Henry Hoof. Like, everywhere you turn, there's something positive. But you know what oversees all of that? The layer that oversees all of that that makes it easy to be a fan? He doesn't know how good he is. And that is almost a contradiction to the interviews that you see. That's almost a contradiction to who is idle with Conor McGregor is. It's almost a contradiction to looking at his record, of which is perfect. The first time I saw Ian Machado Gary fight was at Madison Square Garden. 
And he does the interview, hey, Joe, as a wise man once said, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. Does the whole bit, but there was some really rare skills in there. So I watch him again, I watch him a third time. And it was the setup on his feet. I mean, it's rinse and repeat. He's got one thing that works, but he can do that one thing to everybody, and that's what the true greats could do. The true greats, the Mike Tysons of the world. I'm going to hit you with an uppercut, and then I'm going to hit you with a hook. The uppercut's going to be with this hand, and the hook's going to come with this hand. The hook might go to your body, and it might come to your head, but I promise it's going to be one of those two spots. Are you ready? Okay, you don't seem ready. Why don't you take 10 weeks and work on it? Uppercut. Followed by hook, uppercut to the face, hook to body or head. Got it? It was one of these things, and a decade later, nobody got it. Simone Biles, same thing, rinse and repeat. Jordan Burroughs, double A, rinse and repeat. John Smith, low single, two knee high crotch, rinse and repeat. The greats do something, but they can do it to everybody. And Ian has a setup on his feet. And all of his offense comes off of the same setup. But the setup, while working, is also a tell. He's telling you, before he goes offensive and before he goes to strike you, when he does the setup, he's telling you, I'm about to strike you. He's telling you. He's daring you. It's fascinating to me. But I watched it, right? I watched this come in. This guy's the real deal. This guy can really fight. Does the interviews as though he knows all of those things. But he was so excited to break into the top 15. He went and got a tattoo that says 15 because he broke into the top 15 and he was so proud of himself. So, so now you got this guy that says all the right things and his record's got this beautiful thing and they're moving him right up the card. I've beaten four men in the UFC before I ever got interviewed by Joe Rogan. You know how embarrassing that was? I'd finish the fight and I'd stand there waiting for Joe to get in the ring. <laughs> and then there'd be somebody, some kind of, that would point. I'd be standing right in the middle of the cave, put my crap, you know, my mom's looking at me. I got this proud moment. I'm standing there. Opponents have already left, waiting for Joe to get in. Then finally somebody runs, tells me, hey, you, hey. So it's it's one of these spots, right? I mean, they jump right, right up and they start interviewing this guy. This guy's got everything. And he's handsome on top of it. Like, he's got everything going his way. And then he shows this actual childlike excitement to be in the top 15 that, that's very sincere. And I'm looking at him, and I'm even talking to my friends about him. This is a world champion. There is nothing about Ian Gary or his skills or his potential or his work ethic or his commitment, all these things that you hear behind the scenes. There's nothing that would preclude him from being a future world champion. And when Neil and Gary got booked, I knew that fight wasn't going to happen. I wish that I would have publicly predicted it for you. I did privately. I knew that fight was not going to happen. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. And all of a sudden, Neil Magny's in. This is for the Boston card. And Neil deserves a lot of credit. Neil Magny is awesome. Neil Magny is the real deal. He will compete with anybody. Neil Magny, at one point in his career, was on a seven-fight win streak. And I do 
want to give plenty of shine to Neil Magny and his willingness for stepping up and taking opportunities. I, I will just tell you that Gary deserves that same credit. Like That's not what Gary was planning to do either. And Jeff Neal and Neil Magny are very, very different. Whatever preparation you've gone to or money that you said when you brought in sparring partners and did some of this silly stuff that the guys love to do, you got a whole new body type. You got a whole new skill set. You got a whole new guy in front of you. And I do give the credit to Magnet for sure. I but I, but I just do want to mention that this young man early in his career has also not blinked, and it's also not what he was planning to do. Neil Magny's phone rang, and he he got a call. Are you willing to do this? And he said yes. He had the right answer. But Gary got that same phone call, and he said yes too. A young man that broke into the top 15 is about to take on a hardened veteran who at one point beat up seven guys in a row. And there's not 10 guys in history of that weight class that can make that same claim. It's a really hard and difficult match. And Magny's smart, too. Magny, no. Magny's a veteran. Magny's one of these great fighters that could go on to be a great coach. And great fighters don't usually make great coaches. Great coaches weren't typically great fighters previously in any sport, any in, any sport that you want to do that in. But but Magny has an IQ and he can see things differently. All the stuff I'm talking about, the setups, all the stuff about the telegraphing, letting you know before I come what I'm coming with. Am I starting with my hands or am I starting with my feet? I mean, all of these things that I can see by watching Gary, and I'm not even breaking him down. I just happen to watch Gary and I know these things. Magny will know those times five. He's just got an eye for those kinds of things. This is a really interesting match. This is a really great match. I do give Magny the credit. I know he stepped in on short notice. I understand what history says when you take on a younger guy, but I would like to remind you, when Magny got a phone call, Ian Gary got that exact same phone call. Sterling, who do you got and why? Aljo Sterling has been one of these guys for me where I could recognize very early on what a skill set you have. He had a guy that was comfortable within the weight class, just by example. I know I know that Aljo's now talking about I want to leave in 145, and these things might be true. And as you get older, some of those things can change. But he was very clear that he had a command for that size. For guys that size, for where his strength would be needed, for when speed was going to come in. I mean, just by example, from an athletic standpoint, it was very clear from the beginning, this guy belongs and he's going to matter very soon. And it was early in Aljo's career. I want to say in two or three fights, and he he started renegotiating with the UFC right then. I mean, he put his foot down hard. I can't remember all the details of it, but he ultimately won. Whatever contract he had, a renegotiation did take place, which just means the organization kind of saw what I was just talking about, where this guy is a factor with some athleticism. Now, you start to talk about understanding the game, which has changed a lot. Some of the rules have even changed. The players are vastly different. Just because Alja was good in this era that I'm speaking about seven and eight years ago, what's that got to do with today? Well, he's better. And not only has he gotten better and evolved, he's better than I thought he was, and I thought he was pretty damn good. 
he became the champion of the world. I recognized him as the champion of the world. It turns out he was even better, right? I understood that he was number one. Is what I'm attempting to say. I understood that he was very good. Turns out he was even better than I understood. And I didn't really see that until the night he took on Cejudo. I thought that there was ways to beat Aljo, right? There seems like anybody that we've seen five and six and seven and up to ten times, and we've got the footage of, as experts in the room, we can find a way to beat him. Now, finding the right athlete to go out there and exploit those things, we're having a totally different conversation. But it seemed as though there was a way to beat Aljo, and it seemed as though some of those opportunities were going to come later in the fight. And that is just not accurate. And that was made clear in the fight with Henry Cejudo, where in rounds four and five, what they call the championship rounds, Aljo was as strong and coming at him as hard and throwing the same amount of volumes as Aljo was doing in rounds one and two. Now we have fighters that are known as late starters. Aljo would be the opposite. He is not a late starter. He's coming at you early. You would have a very hard time finding an Aljo fight anywhere from his history where he lost the first round. Just by example, you'd have a hard time where he finding where he lost the second round. You'd have a hard time finding a fight where he lost the first or the second round. Where he's coming at you. And I share that because there's not a whole lot of takeaways. There's not a whole lot of things that you're going to do. You're going to need a really good athlete that can go out there and punch and kick and hold up for the duration that wants it, is hungry, is gritty. You're going to need to find somebody just like Aljo. And if you're going to get a title change, you're going to have to cross your fingers and hope that they're better at doing Aljo than Aljo is. I mean, it's it's it's, it's one of these deals. Like, this isn't really a new theory. There's been guys that you can't deal with. I go back to the Old West to bring up the Billy the Kid days. They couldn't catch him. They couldn't get him. So they went and had to hire his own friend who was equally as witty and just as bad as he was, and then hope he could get the jump on him. There was no other way to do it. There wasn't any other strategy. There was nothing by the book. There was nothing by the rules. Is Sean that guy? He's certainly the right guy. When you you go through Peter Yawn in that division, you are now the number one contender. And Sean's way of building and promoting this fight has been very different than the way Sean picked this fight. And I appreciate it. If you hear from Sean five months ago, he doesn't have anything nice to say about Aljo. He's picking a fight. If you go and watch the face-off where Marab stole his coat, which is one of the great moments of sport. (laughs) Oh, God bless Marab for stealing that coat, man. He brought me such joy. (laughs) He brought me such pleasure. So, but if you went back to that moment, which solidified and built this fight. I remember when Dana White went to the press conference and said they're going to do the fight and they're going to bring it to Boston. I remember thinking, well, he misspoke. There's so many cards, there's one every week, and Dana misspoke. Because to go to Boston, which was already on the calendar, was only three months later. There was no champion that was getting turned around in three months. And it was one of these things where you find out that he is. I mean, Islam, not for nothing, had already sat for three months. Islam had already sat for three or four months at the night that Aljo fought. And Aljo gets rebooked for three months later. Aljo will have fought twice 
before Islam is even into his second contest. I mean, just sharing for you, like for me to think that that must, must be a data issue, must have this backwards. Wrong. Bringing him out. And Sugar Sean, the way he's picked the fight, as opposed to the way that he's promoted, are very different. And I think they're both very sincere. By the way, I don't think Sugar Sean performs for you guys. I think he's an entertainer. I think he is a performer. I think he has all of those qualities. I, but I don't think that he is performing. I think Sugar Sean is showing you who he is, how he feels. Like anybody, his mood can change. Like anybody, the, the, the frame of mind he's trying to get in to go into something as personal as combat has the right to change. But it is distinctly different, and he's being very positive towards Aljo. And I think that Sugar Sean is really somebody to look to. I feel as though he does everything right, and he works very hard those three times a year that he's competing, but he works very hard the other 362 days a year as well. I like the way that he's promoted, and I don't think that he needs to say anything bad about Aljo. And not not to mention, if you start saying bad things about Aljo, you're not telling the truth. You don't mean it. You're not going to intact his character, and you're not going to say that he's a mean guy, and you're not going to say that he's bad at fighting, you're not going to say that he has weaknesses somewhere. That would be dishonest, because Aljo is none of those things. He is wonderful. And he's a wonderful fighter. And the only way you're going to beat Aljo is to bring in somebody that can out-Aljo him, that can out-punch him. Maybe they can get to the target a little bit quicker and a little bit more times. And the same thing would go with the kicks, and the same thing will go with the wrestling. And is Sean O'Malley that guy? That's between them. But I can tell you Sean O'Malley's the right guy. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you're in the business of supporting Uncle Chael, then do me a favor and tell a friend about the program. The more people that hit the follow button, the longer that I get to do this. I'm going to be back on Tuesday with more. Until then, everybody, I'm Chael Sutton, and you are welcome.